This is Place Matters, a podcast at the intersection of race, place, and poverty, where we explore the belief that the path towards ending inequity and promoting prosperity is through the work of holistic neighborhood development. Welcome to a special series focusing on the role of churches in their neighborhoods. During this series on Place Matters, we will talk to leaders, scholars, practitioners, and mobilizers who speak to the joys and challenges of inviting churches into partnership with their neighborhood. I'm Sean Duncan, the Director of Training and Consulting for FCS, and my colleague, David Park, one of our lead consultants, will be your host for this series of Place Matters. Within the ecosystem of a city, what is the function of congregations? Are they just there to serve the needs of the members, or should they play a role in contributing to the health and vitality of the city, or at least the neighborhood the church inhabits? The Leadership Foundation is a growing global network of faith-based leaders and organizations from over 40 member cities. Leadership Foundations believe that if we change our cities, we can change our world. And this change starts with relationships. As their website says, no relationship, no change. A phrase that works whether you spell no, K-N-O-W, or just N-O. So how do they go about inviting their members all the way from Dallas to Delhi into place-based impact? We are excited to have Lee Critcher from Pittsburgh, Oliver Richmond from Chattanooga, and Dave Hillis from National to speak about the work of churches in impacting their cities. Listen in as one of our lead consultants, David Park, discusses the methods the Leadership Foundation is using to help congregations engage in place-based work. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Uh, so we're talking uh, and about church and neighborhood, and we wanted to have a special series to talk about this gap that seems to be happening between the church and the neighborhood. Uh, we've been doing some surveys to see how big that gap is or what's the shape of that gap. But uh, I'm here with three uh, special guests uh, today from the Leadership Foundations. So let's start with, could you guys each introduce yourself and sort of like your role and where you are? Yeah, David, I'll start. Um, and as an aside, uh, one of the connections you and I have by way of Cornelius is he was my very first Young Life kid back in 1981. So that shows you wow. how we've got just a couple miles under our belt. And uh, so <laughs> it's wonderful to watch him working. And so you got a lot of dirt on corn, huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that could be a whole. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be a whole episode in and, and of exactly itself. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. <laughs> uh, so I've been with Leadership Foundations now for the better part of almost 30 years. I ran the Northwest Leadership Foundation in the Seattle-Tacoma area for about uh, 14 years and then became president of our global network for another 14. And now I'm going to come back starting January 1st and work with Jonathan at the Colangelo Carpenter Innovation Center. And I'm going to occupy something that's called the Sam Shoemaker Senior Innovation Fellow. And Sam, part of the LF story is that Sam in Lee's city was the person who took Reed to Mount Washington and first gave him a vision of a city that it could be more like as famous for God as it currently was for steel. So that's a bit of my history. I've written a few things about leadership foundations and our commitment to the city. And uh, 
yeah, married to a wonderful wife and uh, three boys and now six grandkids. Awesome. Oh, thanks, Dave. How about you, Lee? Yes, I'm the president of the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, which was founded in 1976. So it was the first of many leadership foundations around the world. Um, Previous to this, I just finished my fourth year. And at the end of my fifth year, I'll be handing it off to my successor here. But previous to that, I was the pastor of a couple thousand member church in the eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh, which I think is an interesting part of our conversation about how, you know, the whole urban suburban uh, church dynamics when it comes to the very topic we're talking about of uh, trying to bring systemic change within our cities. Um, but, But it's great. I love being my role as a pastor and I love my role with the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, which is really about pulling leaders together from across the city to um, make a difference in our city. Oh, that's beautiful, Lee. All right, Oliver, last but not least. Yeah, last but not least, Oliver Richmond, <laughs> President, Kingdom Partners, Chattanooga. Uh We're a six-year-old nonprofit, uh, three years with uh, Leadership Foundation and just finished our full accreditation I've been working in ministry uh, 30 years. Uh, Wife is a minister. Uh, I'm a deacon at our church. We have uh, four kids, three living, one that passed away some years ago, a son. Um, But we we enjoyed Leadership Foundation and all the things they've helped us do in our city. So it seems like there's a lot of ties between church, churches and Leadership Foundation, ministry and Leadership Foundation. What what is there an explicit relationship? Is does leadership foundations exist to serve churches, or or what's what's the connection here, or is it sort of an implicit? That's just who you attract. David, maybe I can provide a little bit of context, and then I think Lee and Oliver can give you some expression on the ground. So when we think about cities and the spiritual and social renewal of cities, uh, part of the way we've talked about it is that there's been three different approaches. Uh, The first is what we would describe as the community approach. And in some ways, David, you're a great example of this. The Lepton Center is a, you know, kind of par excellence of a community-based approach to a particular neighborhood uh, that's trying to get some good things done. Um, And we, you know, have been a partner with uh, like a CCDA would be the, you know, obviously national example of that. There's then what we call the church-centered approach. And this would be, you know, the Uh, groups that say, hey, if we can get the church to work together in a given city, create a gospel ecosystem, uh, the idea would be then that the the city will get better because the churches are getting their act together. Leadership foundations come in and we call ourselves city-centric. And what that means is we're trying to work with all the different systems in a city of which the faith community is one of those systems. Uh, but we don't think of it as more important than uh, the business system or the education system. So all of our leadership foundations will implicitly work with churches, but not only for churches. Uh, we're trying to think about the whole system and all the city, the systems working together. So, I see. I see. Uh, thanks for that explanation. I, that makes a lot of sense in terms of thinking of the city as an ecosystem. How did you stop at like the city? Because obviously, you know, there's things people can think uh, sometimes broad, more broadly regional and yeah. and that type of thing. How did you stop at the city? 
Well, part of it's our history. So again, the Leadership Foundations, a part of our charism uh, is that we are committed, of course, uh, to the disenfranchised and the poor. So when the Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation was first birthed in 1976, cities at that time were really the catch basin for the poor. Uh, you'll remember that uh, oftentimes cities were you know, considered a place to go flee from rather than to. Um, since then, of course, cities have undergone a huge transformation. And so I think Lee's right in the sense when he intimates this is that we're holding on to the idea of the city a little bit loosely. Uh, we now have leadership foundations, for example, in some rural places like Philippi, West Virginia. And the principal reason for doing that is that if you've been to Philippi, West Virginia, that's a place where the poor obviously reside. So we're, uh, I think Oliver and Lee would say this as well. We, we think about leadership foundations as a little bit of a kind of a movable feast. We're always in the process of trying to think through kind of who we are and how do we get relevant for the time at hand rather than a status or a stationary kind of model. So, Yeah, and I think David puts it well. It, for us, if our passion is to bring leaders together for the good of our city, we probably even on our board and in the leaders that um, we gather, about a third of them are business leaders, about a third of them are nonprofit leaders, and about a third of them are church leaders, all of which it takes to really <clears throat> um, join together along with our civic leaders to make a difference in our city. And we are, we are focused a lot on the city of Pittsburgh, probably because the greatest needs are in the city. And so very often it's the leaders who are, would be considered outside of the city who are, if, if they've got the heart of God, they're not just thinking about their immediate community, but they are saying, we are really a part of the greater Pittsburgh area. What can we do? to ele elevate the things that are are not that need to be elevated that's good Lee. uh when we start off they we start off as church-centered organization strictly focused on african-american churches and then we ran into dave hillis and and shared their model of really helping transform a city together and right then we went to our board and we pivot and said, we're going to engage the civil, the business, education, and the faith base if we really want to change a city and work together. And, and it's been just dynamite excellent with people wanting to really help the city together because the church can't do it by themselves. That's right. That's, that, I love how you're breaking it down and inviting, uh, like creating a broader table. What, what role does the church have in the city? What's the unique sort of place and distinctive role that the church has? You know, part, part of the question, David, is a little bit contextual. Um, you know, we, uh, we laugh up here in the Northwest <clears throat> where, you know, most sociologists, when they kind of try to parse the church life of the Northwest, we're called the nun zone. Um, we have very little church attendance versus, say, Oliver and <clears throat> Chattanooga and where, where they live. So, again, I think part of the beauty of Leadership Foundations and our genius is that it's always a contextual approach. You know, we understand that what the work we're going to do in Delhi is going to be different than the work we do in Dallas. And what's going to work in Pittsburgh is going to be different than what works in Pretoria, South Africa. So, 
for leadership foundations ever to answer that question that you asked directly. It's, it's a contextual response. Having said that, um, I think we all are of the mind that the church is a unique institution within the city. Um, and it absolutely is a, a, that institution, which is, you know, been told, of course, by the scripture, as well as I think, you know, the 2000 year history, you know, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, and we believe that that's not just, you know, a euphemism for us. We believe it. Um, so we're always trying to engage the church uh, in that way. But honestly, at times, the church um, has been, you know, a bit of an obstacle um, in trying to uh, see cities change because you begin to immediately get into, well, what's your theology? Um, you know, are you liturgical? Are you not liturgical? You know, is the Holy Spirit in the base or is it in the organ? I mean, so, I, you know, again, I'm sure Oliver and Lee will have stories this way as well, but we have spent a lot of time trying to get pastors, you know, together um, across some pretty serious divides. And it is, it's not always been fruitful. Um, and so, again, we're, we're committed to the church, working with the church, but well aware that the church at times um, you know, uh, has a problem. I mean, just as an example, we uh, work with Young Life out here, and uh, they just developed a partnership, this region, with the Catholic Church, where they're going to actually provide interns. Uh, the Catholic Church is going to provide interns for Young Life. And immediately, one of the biggest donors for Young Life in this area uh, withdrew their $25,000 a year commitment uh, because of the presence of the Catholic Church. I mean, it's just that kind of stuff you know, happens over and over again. So again, I think Leadership Foundation's role oftentimes is to jump into that space and inhabit it in such a way to try to bring these kind of warring sides together, which can oftentimes be quite difficult. Yeah, and I tell you, as a young pastor in my 20s, I probably saw the church more as the voice of God, the voice of Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's why if different churches nearby had different words coming out of their mouth, it was like, well, how can we be together? I think as I've gotten older, and especially in my role at Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, I really see the church as the hands of Christ to meet the needs of our city. So we recently, at um, nine different churches, one school, and one seminary, uh, we had thousands of Christ followers of every background come together and we packed over a million meals for the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. And I was there last week with the president of the food bank who said, you know, I, I know that you're, you guys have gathered together from a faith-based perspective, a Christian perspective. The difference you're making in our city is very hard to, uh, to describe. It's absolutely amazing. And you know, here you've got, it wasn't, it was Catholic and Protestant. It was progressive and conservative. Uh, it was uh, liturgical and non-liturgical or non-denominational. It was, it's every imaginable kind of church coming together and basically saying, if you bow your knee to Jesus, let's do something great together for our city. That's beautiful how you can build a bigger tent. I do find that a lot of churches get, they sort of, that like, as, as you said, Dave, they, they sort of stop at the theological questions and 
they're always trying to figure out, can we work together? Mm-hmm. How do you, in Oliver, how have you gotten different churches of different stripes to sort of work through those differences? I think, I think we had a, a senior pastor that had been around for years and years that came on our board and started working. But one thing, we, we got them together for fellowship and, and just to talk, to get to know each other, break bread. And when they do that, they find out they have a lot of things in common and a lot of the issues and problems, we all want them solved. So as they built those relationships, I think we spent three years uh, doing small groups, fellowship, dinners, potlucks. And then we set some some grounds, some things that don't come into the conversation unless you do it one-on-one, politics. And some of the things are just your preference. We said, you can't talk about that at the meeting, but you can take David and Lee out the lunch or breakfast and talk about that. Let's focus on how do we love each other and how do we help the community where there's here, there's 10 churches for every school. There's church on every corner, but you have some of the worst statistics with all those churches right in those neighborhoods. So I think once people start seeing that and thinking kingdom, uh, it gives them another perspective of how we can work together. And some of these things are just preferences and we can work through them. And, and Dave, perhaps you could talk about Charity to Change, which I think has been yeah. an absolute yeah. godsend for our city and for many other cities um, to accomplish what David is asking. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I will, David. And let me, again, give a little bit of uh, context. Um, <clears throat> so one of the things about Leadership Foundations that I've been particularly interested in is what was the charism I'm going to use Catholic language here for a minute. What was the charism that was given to Sam that was then given to Reed that was then given to the Olivers and the Lees and the Dave Hills of this world? And I did some theological work on this. And what I concluded was that they saw the city as God's playground rather than a battleground. Um, and as you know, Joseph Campbell said so well, if you want to change the world, change your metaphor. So the, the great metaphor change for leadership foundations is that Within that context, I then said three things happen immediately. And the first is theological, that God becomes a friend of the city rather than a foe. And while that might seem, you know, like, well, of course, God's a friend. You you know, I went to Fuller Seminary. It took me, you know, 15 years to graduate. And the principal reason was, is I couldn't find classes on the city. Um, And here's one of the largest seminaries in the world. And they just had no urban theology. Um, so that idea of saying cities are actually God's idea, right? That, that while, you know, the Bible begins in a garden, it ultimately ends in a city and, and really becoming a champion of that. The second is sociological, where we talk about your you know neighbor now becomes a colleague rather than a competitor. And then the third is economic, which is that the economy is one uh, of abundance rather than scarcity. Um, so that, for leadership foundations, is the the framework by which we, you know, try to engage things, see things, uh, interpret things. So it was in that context that we were asked to approach Lilly, and the whole idea of the Lilly grant for us was we've got all these leadership foundations on the ground, um, so let's get a grant that helps a local leadership foundation uh, engage churches. And the key is to engage churches on behalf of the city, not just 
the church itself and its growth, but, but really to think about the city that they inhabit. And so by definition for us then, that meant putting a curriculum together that really has not only some, you know, kind of theological heft to it, but some real diversity, right? So that you've got, you know, women and men and Catholic and evangelical and right of center and left of center. Um, and our goal, Dave, and this is, I think, the thing that Lee's pointing at, our goal was to, uh, over the course of three years, to get 75 to 100 churches engaged by the end of the three years. Uh, we just last week eclipsed 200 churches mm -hmm. uh, through 19 local leadership foundations, of which Oliver and Lee are you know, two of the rock stars in this initiative. So it's been hard to overstate the uh, the impact and the effectiveness of this particular initiative. And it's all around the idea of, again, trying to get the church to think about the city it inhabits rather than just its particular, you know, niche uh, within a particular you know neighborhood. I mean, again, we we want them to be good to the neighborhood, but we want them to see this bigger picture as well. So, yeah, I'll let Oliver, the real rock star, talk at a moment. <laughs> but um what we've done is we're in the midst of nine months of meeting together. We have about 20 church churches represented, the pastor of those churches, along with two or three next-gen leaders in those churches. And so we're in these rooms. We're in a room together. We rotate having dinner in different churches. Half are urban, half are suburban. Um, very different kinds of churches. And in fact, many of the leaders are meeting each other for the very first time. Yeah. And so the camaraderie is fantastic just in and of itself and the dialogue that takes place because people's worlds are very different. Um, we're being facilitated by um, a, a pastor and his wife who lead a church in the, the most underserved community in our city. And their church is a living example of being embedded in a community. They've... Uh, they started the Oasis Project, which is um, going throughout their community and creating places that are like an oasis where people can, can go. Like they started the Everyday Cafe. There was no third place for people to even meet in that entire community. Mm. Um, they've got a farm and a fishery. They've got, it's unbelievable what they've done, but they are a great inspiration to lead this group of leaders and our goal is by the end of nine months of meeting together, which would be May, to identify something that we can work together on to really make a, a lasting impact in some aspect of our city. And not just charity, you know, not just packing meals, which we're, we all believe in, but is there something systemic that we can work together and our next gen leaders are great about pulling together some great ideas and so um we're in the middle of it and it's absolutely fantastic and really goes to what you were asking about earlier david about how do you get churches together to be reminded that we are neighbors within our city oh that's beautiful thanks for sharing lee well, you have the pressure of being rock star, Oliver, so <laughs> oh, no. no pressure. There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but but the, the curriculum Dave and his team put together, I mean, was fabulous. And like I said, we're, we're a new organization, and it just took us to a whole nother level with our leaders, with our community, with the government. 
And so as we went through that curriculum, we had very wealthy churches. Some were wealthy in dollars up on the mountains, uh, very wealthy. And some, like my church, was wealthy with people right in the grassroots of the city. And so as they start working together, building relationships and going through that curriculum, you can see their mind and them being transformed and to start thinking about the city, thinking about their calling, what they should be doing besides just, you know, having church, listening to preaching, Bible study, small groups. Now they start seeing that we need to do something. So out of that group, about 18 churches, which you had Seven Day Adventist, you had you know Methodist. I think we had eight, eight to ten different denominations out of the eighteen mm. uh, that came together with leaders, pastors, and leaders. And we just did a very simple survey. And said, "What would you like to do together? Here's five, six choices for a capstone project. And if you want to add something to it, so they turned the surveys in. They came up with affordable housing, education, and I think mentoring was the other one. And so out of that group, as the churches started talking to their membership, we had retired professors, retired principals. And so they took one downtown school that most of the uh, kids that are homeless, because there's homeless shelters, families that live there. And they said, uh, we're going to write a literacy grant to the state to do after school literacy. And one church said, we're going to do daytime literacy. So, 15 organizations, nonprofit churches came together for that one school, and they're serving 100 kids um, every day for the whole school year. Uh, and so it was powerful. Some might say, hey, you can store your equipment here, your supplies. You can, you can uh, copy things here. Uh, we'll send teachers. So that's, that's going strong. Then they came up with, uh, we came up with a mentoring initiative, partnered with Big Brothers Big Sisters to do the training in one year, it's 150 mentors trained, paired up, another 250 so that's been trained, and from all kinds of nonprofits and churches. And then the third wheel, uh, affordable housing. Churches have lands, have building. So we got about 400 units on the books that they're working through their banks and financing. But it shows the power when they come together, when you have a great curriculum that they can lean into that light clicks, and now we're going into our second year. And like I said, the city loved it so much, and I don't know if our mayor's a Christian or not, but uh, he loved it so much, he decided to put half a million dollars with the literacy, and he said, I love what you guys are working together. He said, I'll do $1.8 million with affordable housing and state, put 250000 in there. Uh, so it's just been, to us, unbelievable when you see churches and nonprofits and groups working together that the public takes notice and they want to be part of that that plan. Yeah, you see why wow. Oliver is a rock star, David. Yeah. Wow. That, I'm just, that's I'm amazing. just the face of the organization. Other people do all the work like Dave and Lee. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, the 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 things that you're sharing just that they they reek of collaboration and partnership mm-hmm. and collective investment. These are things that I feel like a lot of churches are not, at least in my experience, I've seen churches try to do a lot on their own. Mm-hmm. So what you're talking about is already very countercultural and and uh, just transformative. So is, is that sort of the point of the curriculum is to get them to think together, think uh, in, in terms of partnership? 
Yeah, I think it is, uh, David. And again, just a little bit of, you know, backdrop going back to that idea of city as playground, which really for us comes out of the Zechariah 8 passage where you remember the prophet describes Jerusalem that's pretty beat up and says, now there is coming a time when your streets will be filled with children playing and the elderly will be sitting with, you know, cane in hand on their porch. And, you know, Zechariah was prescient in the sense that the two most vulnerable populations in any city, anywhere around the world, of course, are the very young and the very old. So the idea is if they're both doing well, then that means everything right in between is doing well and that the city is actually working the way it's supposed to work. So part of the question we asked is what was needed to make that vision come alive? And we had to struggle with this in part, David, because we also believe in leadership foundations that cities are living, breathing organisms, right? That that what is Chattanooga is, is very different than what Pittsburgh is. So we couldn't get prescriptive, right? We couldn't go the road that most NGOs go, which is, you know, they define a product and then they spend most of their time, you know, actually trying to sell that product regardless of the context. So we actually created a process and it's called our wheel of change. And it consists of three functions that every leadership foundation anywhere in the world um, must adhere to if they want to call themselves a leadership foundation. So the first is engaging leaders of good faith and goodwill. Um, and this is exactly what Lee said. We Leadership foundations, our working hypothesis is that there's many cities that have had more than enough money, more than enough program thrown at them, and they haven't actually gotten better. And the reason is it's the leadership question. Um, but two things immediately are important. The first is it's not the obvious leadership, right? It's not city hall. It's not necessarily the mayor. As Oliver said, it's those neighborhoods, those churches that have some remarkable leaders already afoot, but they're under-resourced. And so we're always trying to help those leaders kind of, you know, get better. Um, the second piece of this, though, and this is what sometimes gets us in a little bit of trouble, um, is we think it's, you know, leaders of good faith engaging them, but it's also uh, leaders of goodwill. Um, as, as Oliver said, it's working with people who just want to get their city better and they might not even necessarily carry a faith orientation. You know, in a place like Delhi, where we have a leadership foundation, if we told Abhishek, Abhishek, we want to see, you know, Delhi, a city of 26 million people become more like God's playground than a battleground, but you can only work with Christians, right? I mean, that, that thing is dead on arrival, given the fact that less than 1% of India, you know, is Christian. So, you know, Abhishek's working with Hindus, you know, with Muslims, with Sheik, with people of no faith uh, on behalf of the city. The second is uh, building the capacity of others. Again, our working assumption is that there's more than enough nonprofits and churches already on the ground and that we don't think what God wants to do is create one more nonprofit or one more church necessarily but rather what needed is organization that is building the capacity of those that are already there. And the thing that happens when you do that consistently is you begin to curate the most important ingredient necessary to make a, a city better, and that's trust, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the thing about Oliver and Lee that makes this so effective is they're trusted. I mean, Oliver can pick up the phone and they'll actually answer it, right? Lee can you know, get over to so-and-so's office and they'll actually open the door because they're a trusted, you know, sort of intermediary. 
And then the third is uh, de developing what we call joint initiatives. And those are all the things, the practical programs that we do. But again, the key there is that it's always contextual and it's always done uh, with you know, another partner moving forward. Well, the through line of all three of those, as you can tell, is how do you, how do you pull things together? Um, and so we think then that in almost every breath we take, we're always asking the question is, who else needs to be at the table um, you know, to, make, to make this happen? Um, and I mean, one of the greatest privileges I had uh, as president of Leadership Foundations is I would go to different cities you know, around the world, get on the ground with the Lees and the Olivers, and to watch over the course of two days, their knowledge of the city, I mean, the people that knew, the doors they could walk through, it just was extraordinary. And again, it was all around that idea of pulling people together. So we developed the curriculum with that in mind exactly. Hey guys, just jumping in real quick to say that we would love to take your church and local partners through our two-year cohort process called City Shapers. The cohorts that are launching this year will be funded partially by Lilly Endowment, so it's a great time to get involved. We have had three communities go through this process so far and would love to bring it to you next. So contact us today to learn more at fcsministries.org. Well, and I got to show my hand here. I, I've gotten a chance to look at your um, Chariot of the Change curriculum, and I would vouch for it. I think it's some of the best mm, material yeah. for churches I've ever seen, and I, I promote it whenever I get a chance. Oh, thanks, David. Uh, oh, it's really wonderful. Um, and I also think, uh, I, I mean, I think we. it seems like we're cut from a similar cloth um, in that you're thinking of cities as sort of the unit of change and FCS is sort of vouching for neighborhoods as, as the unit of change. Yeah. What's the relationship between neighborhoods and cities from your perspective? Because we all know that you can hide or sometimes we felt like the city was too big of a metric sometimes and that some a lot of inequities can hide within those cities. Whereas if we took neighborhood by neighbor, we felt like this is something we can chew on a little bit. But I'd love to hear not again, this is not a either or right. I just I just love to see what, what what are some of the distinctives about this approach and pros and cons. I mean, I suspect that all three of us might have a little bit of a different answer on this. So I can just give you my, my testimony and part of what moved me from maybe a neighborhood focus to a city focus. Um, you know, I cut my teeth as a young life urban guy, you know east side of Tacoma Hilltop, so two very distinct neighborhoods where most of the poverty in our city sits. And, you know, you're working hard, you're doing good things. And all of a sudden, waking up to the fact that City Hall could take a vote and change the dynamic of my neighborhood overnight, right? They would zone it differently, or they decided that, you know, uh, that new employer was going to be placed here rather than here. And the ramifications of that, David, was huge. And so for me, it was like, I've got to get further up the river um, to look at some of the systems that are producing some of the misery in these respective neighborhoods. So again, while I would say that leadership foundations are always incarnational, I mean, we have what we call a theology of place. 
Um, what we are trying to do is to keep our eye on what are those levers that actually impact the neighborhoods. Um, and so I would, I would say that there's no leadership foundation that doesn't work hand in hand with the kind of Lupton centers of their particular city. And, and when we do our best work is when that is kind of a hand in glove, you know, sort of fit. Um, but we do, I think, if we're going to make cities better, have to get to those places that are making the decisions that so impact, you know, an overall city's, you know, kind of feel. So Lee and Oliver, how, what would be your take? Yeah, I, I would think that um, <clears throat> like when we when we come up with our project for Charity to Change, it will probably be focused on one or two neighborhoods in our city that are that have the greatest and very obvious needs. Um, and so to me, I would say, I, I believe we are impacting our city when we impact those neighborhoods. Um, so I don't think in terms of, well, let's have a project that impacts every corner of our city. Um, for instance, when I was pastor of uh, a suburban church, we had a food bank that that served the people who came, but almost it was all were 95% of the people were driving about a half hour from a neighboring community, another neighborhood. <clears throat> and we found out that there was a church immediately in that neighborhood that wanted to open a food bank. So we transferred the food bank to them and now we provide funds and volunteers. But it is a little difficult in certain neighborhoods that your that your church is planted in to see the kind of needs than if you lift your eyes to see some of the other neighborhoods in our city. Um, but in short, to try and say we're changing the whole city, I think we're changing the city by making an impact in one neighborhood at a time. That's beautiful. Yeah, that was a great job. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just think there's 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 a lot of good, di so there is a dialect between neighborhood and city. Um, sometimes I do feel like, and I don't know if this is true, maybe it's an intuitive thing where I feel like churches have, maybe since like the seventies or eighties sort of abdicated their role in the city. In fact, I remember talking to somebody who was at uh, local community, community foundations where they said in the seventies, they would have pastors on the boards of these community foundations. But she was like, we haven't had any pastors on the board in decades. Mm. Is that something that you found to be true, you know, in your place? And is that reversing anytime soon? And what are some of the, the sort of factors that lead to the church sort of retracting or retreating? You know, again, my take here, David, and let me say that, so I sit on this call as a uh, Catholic who is involved in a Jesuit church, a Jesuit minister of the Jesuits, and they've been a big part of my spirituality. Um, I think there has been a horrible retraction from the public square on behalf of the church. And, you know, the person who probably understands that maybe better than anybody in the world right now is Pope Francis. Um, you know, I mean, the reason he's taking so much, you know, uh, fire from <laughs> both sides is for the very simple reason that he's saying, hey, church, you need to get out into the neighborhood um, and begin to do what you have always historically done. And, you know, so, you know, I think that 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 has sadly taken place in probably most denominations. And I think, um, 
you know, some good leaders like a Francis, like some other denominational leaders are beginning to put their finger on that and say, we've got to reclaim that space. Um, it's going to be very difficult, though, because that public square now has become, you know, in some ways threatening. It's like, how do you navigate that space, particularly with the political, you know, ideology, you know, that's at play. So I think we're going to have to come up with some curriculum, some training that helps pastors and lay leaders uh, begin to figure out uh, how to get back into that space because it's 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 scary, right? I mean, I, I talk to pastor after pastor who just says, I would like to do something. Uh, I just have no idea uh, how I can do it without either losing my church, you know, by way of just the membership or, you know, uh, myself becoming politicized, you know, in entering that space. So it's, it's a huge issue. Oliver, what do you see in Chattanooga as far as pastors who really don't see themselves in that role of making a difference in the city? I think, you know, talking from African-American church standpoint, uh, a lot of churches, but most of us don't live in the neighborhood where our churches are at. Mm. And so years ago, because of segregation things, you had to live in those neighborhoods. So you knew the neighbors, you knew the people, you worked together. And then a lot of the pastors were full-time pastors. Now a lot of them are part-time pastors. Mm. So now what, what, I, what I'm seeing leaders get re-engaged in the community, loving the neighbors right around them. They're going to keep that church there. They're going to, they're starting to do more outreach. They're starting to do tutoring, mentoring right there at the church. Or they're doing it at the neighborhood center where the families or kids are at. And I'm, and I'm seeing some leaders uh, stepping into some political arenas, some different boards, that, uh, but most of them, you know, they have to have the support of their church as they're able to do that. In years past, because of civil rights and different things, the church has really supported their pastors out there speaking up. But now if you don't have some major issues that you all agree, or majority agree that you need to fight for, it can be lonely uh, out mm -hmm. there uh, when you're doing something. So, so I'm seeing them re-engage and get more involved in boards and different things than they did uh like I said, the last 10 or 15 years. And I think, David, that your observations are exactly right on target. For The vast majority of churches are not inside of urban communities in the city. So when I talked to pastors, and I had the exact same feeling, <clears throat> we need to, we're planted here, so we must minister where we are planted in our immediate suburban community and then if we talk about outreach, it's foreign missions. You know, how can we yeah. reach yeah. outside of the country and do something in India or Haiti or et cetera? Um, I do think now that there is this provocative narrative that these pastors are saying, okay, I'm not just planted in the eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh. I'm planted in greater Pittsburgh. Yeah. And what responsibility do I have to this city? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that is a provocative question that I don't know what percentage of pastors are thinking about, but a growing percentage of pastors yeah. are thinking yeah. about. Yeah. But do you think it's because uh, that question could threaten, or does it does it uh, 
yeah, does it threaten their sort of identity uh, as a church? Or you know, like like you said, if a church if a if a church on the outskirts of Pittsburgh says we have a responsibility to Greater Pittsburgh, which means if our neighborhood has maybe lesser needs and there's a neighborhood nearby that has some civic significant needs and is under-resourced, underestimated, does it take away something from us to do that kind of work? Or does, do people in that congregation begin to say like, oh, I guess this doesn't have as much to do. Is that the threat there? Is there a sort of existential or identity threat to the church, do you think? I, I think particularly if what you say is, <clears throat> we're using your tithes and offerings to go into another neighborhood to make a difference. How, or your tithe, I mean, you're regular. But as at least two churches who were, who are both are on our board of directors at PLF, Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation, they both have created something called Kingdom Builders. At the end of the year, they raise literally over, well over a million dollars each. And they say this is to make a difference in the following areas. And so there it takes the controversy out of it because all the things they're doing, including in the immediate community, in, in the city, are things that people see on this list of things. And you're giving, you're not taking away from the children's ministry of our church. This is something you're giving towards. And somehow they've been able to capture the imagination of their church members to give stunning amounts hmm. and that and that covers a lot of different things including the impact in our city yeah. that's beautiful so you really do have to project the kingdom vision right you actually name it's a it's a separate entity i take it and you're calling it kingdom builders so that they can have actually a, a new sense of imagination for what it means to contribute and participate to the bigger kingdom yes hmm. Well, what would you say to uh, leaders that are sort of starting this journey into thinking about city and neighborhood as like, oh, this is something that I need to think about beyond the survival and the thriving of my own church. What would you what would you sort of give them to chew on to be like, man, if I can only if you only hear one thing from me, make sure you what would you say to them? Dave, you've mobilized more churches than anybody I know <laughs> around this. I mean, Dave, you probably can tell I'm a, I always think about something first kind of theologically, and then I'll try to give you a practical answer. Uh, but with Lee and Oliver, maybe they can do it. I, I've been very influenced by um, a theologian um, around, I won't go into all the detail, but the, a, an anthropological idea of how, we, how humans become human. And his, one of his great insights is he says, we are relational before we're rational. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've watched seminaries forever, right, essentially make the argument, no, we're rational. Let's get the right things in place, the right answer. And if you somehow demonstrate to us that you are trustworthy, then we will, you know, let you take that. Well, that's not the way humanity works. You know, we're, we're relational before we're rational. And so... With that as a background, the thing I say to every pastor I know is find a role model, Um, right? Somebody that you can completely and utterly trust, right, with all the stuff that is ultimately going to come at you when you begin to engage your city, right? Um, And and squeeze everything out of that role model, you know, uh, that, that, that you can. And... 
people who the pastors who have done that, I think, have probably navigated um, the space better than anybody um, I've seen. So, but if I was just trying to, to get people to be thinking about it, for me, it was reading some of the work of Ray Bakke. And one of the members of our Charity to Change group is the president of the Bakke Institute. So it's close to my heart. <laughs> and I know it's close to the heart of many of our leaders. Um, <clears throat> but when he says, you know, the scriptures start in a garden and they end in a city. And there is this, without condemnation, a question of how do you say to God, I did nothing about my city? when you when you stand before him and expect to hear well done good and faithful servant so there is this um this sense of responsibility that may not come naturally or may not come uh w w without being reading something or being challenged by a neighbor or a friend uh but i i do think that m maybe there's something in that you put into somebody's hands, just like the work you're doing, that gets them to say, yeah, I need to lift my eyes mm. beyond what I'm looking at right now. Yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Oliver, any yeah. rock star advice? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not sure rock star advice, but I'll give you some of my advice. <laughs> well, I think one thing we, we, we talk about we look at all the bad things in the city, the crime, the homelessness, the children, the education level. And we talk about there's been millions and millions of dollars spent trying to solve those problems mm. because everybody's trying to build an empire and they think they're the puzzle. And really, we're just a piece of the puzzle. Mm. So where do you fit in that you can make that masterpiece come alive? So we said, figure out where you fit in then let's work together and with together we can make some of these major problems go down. They never go away, but make them a lot better if we work together. And once they get that, they can lean in. No, I can do my part and do the best on my part. And I can help the whole city by doing my part, but I can't do it by myself. Mm. Oliver, I really appreciate how you, you really start with this uh, uh, sort of emphasis on relationship. And it just kind of, even if the circle gets bigger, it never gets beyond the sense of together and knowing each other. So I really appreciate that. And well, thank you. it sounds like that that's a thread that runs through leadership foundations as well. The sense of like person, personhood obviously is very important, but as we relate to each other and relate to each other as both neighbor and citizen, that this responsibility and this sense of community grows. Yeah, you know, we're one of the things we talk about, David, is this notion that the real miracle of Pentecost, um, you know, one way to think about it is that God ceases at that point to be vertical and becomes horizontal. Mm. And that yeah. as we think now about doing work on God's behalf, it's got to be done horizontally. Um, yes. But you can't retreat back into your church or your prayer house or wherever you are and try to think about God only vertically. It's like, nope, Pentecost did away with that. And now if you want to experience God, right, if you want to grow in intimacy with God, it's actually going to depend on me engaging Lee or me engaging Oliver. Um, and so we try to, you know, somewhat relentlessly 
preach that, uh, particularly for the pious, right? I mean, <laughs> one of the yeah. one of the obstacles of getting into the city is you're going to get dirty. Um, yeah. And so many times we've sat with these, you know, I think wonderfully well motivated people who love God, and say, if you really want to operationalize that love of God, it's going to be with other, right? With the neighbor, with the person down the street. So, um, so yeah, relationship, the idea of the incarnation, I mean, sits at the very core of leadership foundations. We, um, we couldn't imagine doing the work we do apart from that framework. Well, the more you talk, Dave uh, and, and Lee and Oliver, the more I feel like, man, we, we, we're definitely coming from the same cloth and DNA in terms of like the way we think and uh, how deeply human this work is and humanizing this work is and must be in order for it to become uh, a, a lived reality, that there is a sense of responsibility to a neighbor and, and being able to, you actually said something that I thought was like, something we, we would say is trust is the most important currency we have to make change. And we operate at the speed of trust. We talk about that a lot, yeah. that you can't go faster than that. And it can be lost in a minute, but to build it takes a lot of time. Yeah. Well, both Cornelius and Jonathan have been bragging about you, David. So we, uh... <laughs> oh, well, those are, you could tell those guys can't believe everything they say. Well, I, well, I, I thank I you so much for don't. this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> they, that, that remains to be seen yeah, right. whether or not I'm, I'm trustworthy or not but thank you so much for spending the time with me today it's been a, a wonderful conversation I, thank God for your work and your curriculum and uh, Charity Change I hope a lot of churches come to know it and I hope they come to work with Leadership Foundation and I hope we get to work with them too one of the best ways that we can offer to see what it looks like to partner well with the neighborhood is for you to come here for a visit. We love hosting guests in historic South Atlanta. In the spring and the fall, we host a two-day immersive event called Open House. So please come, meet our team, see the work, walk our neighborhood. To register for this, go to fcsministries.org slash openhouse. Place Matters is produced by Focused Community Strategies, whose mission it is to partner with under-resourced neighborhoods to provide innovative and holistic development that produces flourishing communities and God's shalom. Place Matters is hosted by FCS's training and consulting team. If you'd like to inquire about our training and consulting services, please reach out to us via our website or find us on LinkedIn and social media. This information can be found in the show notes. If you'd like to watch these episodes, the video can be found on our YouTube channel and if you like these episodes, please share them on social media. Your support means a lot to us. The show was edited by Tim Rhodes with music by Eric North. Special thanks to David Park, Becca Klein, and Rose Silva at FCS for their work in organizing and recording these sessions. We would like to say thanks to our partner, Lily Endowment, Inc., whose Thriving Congregations grant has made this podcast possible. Mm -hmm.